Hi, this is Pastor Curtis. I want to thank you for checking out the Family Church Podcast. I hope it encourages you and inspires you to take your next step of faith. You can find out more about how to do that at our website, familychurch.xyz. And if you know a friend who needs to hear this message, please forward it on to them. I hope you enjoy the message. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Doing good? It is awesome to be at Family Church this morning. My wife, Debbie, is traveling with me this weekend, and we just, we love your pastors, Curtis and Sue. We think they're about the best. And uh, you reminded me of a story I hadn't thought of a year, but one time I was at Heartland with my brother-in-law, and we were in the pits. And, uh, you know, if you've ever been to a, to a top fuel drag race, uh, they rebuild these engines basically between runs, and they got to fire them up, they got to tune them up, make sure they're ready for the next run. And so we're standing in the pits when they fire this engine up, and, uh, and of course, the sound is unbearable, and the earth shakes, and it's just the best thing ever. <laughs> and uh, I looked over at my brother-in-law, got blood running out his nostril. What a day. What a great day, right? You know you've been to the races when yeah, so it's what a good day. What a good day. Awesome. Uh thought I might introduce you to my family. Uh, Debbie and I have three grown children, two boys and a girl, and uh two of them are married and the third is getting married this October, so we're excited about that. Uh and I think on the photo before you also see uh, one of my projects. I have project cars. I never finish them, uh, but I have them, and I pretend to work on them, and I spend money on tools I'm going to use someday to work on them, stuff like that. Uh, But there it is, and uh, that's a Christmas photo from this year. And then uh, between our children, we have two grandchildren. Uh, I I discovered this weekend, I didn't know that your pastors have 14 grandchildren. 14 grandchildren! Fill the earth! I mean, they got it going on. And <laughs> uh, we don't have, we have two, uh, but they are the most brilliant grandchildren on the face of the earth. And so what we lack in quantity, we make up for in quality. And uh, it just, it's just good to be with you today and to uh, just show off my grandkids a little bit. Thanks for that privilege. All right, let me ask you this. Anybody staying busy? Yeah, <laughs> see, there's one place I can count on an amen. It's when I ask that question right there. I, I ask that question a lot. It's kind of a casual question I use when I uh, see somebody I haven't seen in a while. How you doing? You been busy? And you know that I've never had anybody say no. <laughs> right? I mean, I haven't. Instead, the opposite usually happens, and they start telling me everything they're overwhelmed with. And I said, no, I'm not taking a survey. I just, it was just a question. It really didn't mean anything. But ask somebody if they're busy, and they will generally tell you how they hardly find time to breathe when they run from one obligation to the next. And it occurs to me that in a world filled with almost nothing but disagreement, I think we could probably all agree with this statement, we are busy than we've ever been. I read a report on a survey the other day uh, where where this was described with regard to work and every every survey respondent across uh, across the industrialized world was uh, remarking about how busy they were and how their lives were, uh, you know, just so full of stuff that it took time away from what mattered to them most. Uh, And I thought it was interesting, the author in the survey uh, pointed out that it's possible that even the most overwhelmed people weren't even included in the survey because, according to a different survey, a major reason people decline to take part in surveys is that they're 
too busy, too busy, right? How busy are the busiest people in the world? We don't know. They don't have time to tell us about it, right? And what's up with that? Why this constant sense of busyness? Why, why does it seem that we live at this demanding pace that never stops? And if I'm finding myself weary of that pace, especially for our conversation this morning, if I'm committed to living my life for Jesus Christ, I say I belong to Jesus, is this what I get? Uh, is, is, is this the abundant life that Jesus promised? Or perhaps you're someone this morning still considering the claims of Christ. You know, you're wondering if you should make that radical decision, and it really is, to hand authority in your life over to Jesus and let him call the shots. Uh, you know, but, but the last thing you need is something else to do or someone else or a group of someone else's to be obligated to. Is there something better than this craziness that sometimes we live at to be found in Christ? Is there hope for any sort of sanity? Does biblical faith offer any hope for someone weary of the rat race? Is there a place of rest? Is there a sane pace with Jesus leading my life? I'm glad you asked that. You say to me, I didn't ask that, you asked that. Well, it's a good setup, all right? I'm glad because the answer is a wonderful, resounding yes. There is hope, there is rest, and so much so that Jesus himself said, and this is beautiful, this is not an underling, this is not a subordinate, this is the main man right here. Matthew 11, chapter 28, excuse me, after chapter 11, verses 28 and 29, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you, say it with me, rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here's what I want you to hear today. If you wanna know what to write down as, as the main message idea, here it is. God's uh, rest is God's plan for you and rest is God's promise to you. Rest is God's plan for you and God's promise to you. As we launched this series, you did last week on a firm foundation, you know, talk about following the framework for transformation. You talked last week about the scriptures and are diving into the scriptures as a regular part of your life as the starting point of it all, as the blueprint for a transformed life. So let's start there this morning with the scriptures. What do the scriptures have to say about it? And I would tell you that first of all, the scriptures assure us that rest is part of God's plan for our lives. Rest is part of God's plan for our lives. Now, if you know me at all, you'd know that I love a firm foundation. So I'm going to set this up a little bit, hang with me, and we'll get back to the subject of rest. But one of my favorite chapters in the Bible over the last several years has become the very first chapter, Genesis chapter 1, because I think it says so much about who God is, and I think it says so very much about why he formed us. And Genesis 1 tells me that God knows what it is to be busy. He knows how to work. And by the way, when I talk about uh, work today, what I'm really talking about is all the stuff we do uh, when we're not resting, all right? So make a broad uh, definition there. That God knows how to be busy and he knows how to rest and that he has formed us in his image so that we might know how to do both of those things as well. 
You probably know how Genesis chapter one starts. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Goes on to talk about how the earth was formless and empty. Those are some pretty key words. Darkness over the surface of the deep. The spirit of God hovering over the waters. And, And the chapter goes on from there. This opening chapter of the entirety of the scriptures that goes on from there to describe God shaping what was formless and empty into something that had form and fullness, shaping what was formless and empty into something that had form and fullness. God speaks, let there be light, let there be day, let there be night, let the waters be separated, let the dry ground appear, let the trees bring forth fruit, let the waters teem with living creature. God takes what was formless and empty and he gives it shape and structure and then he fills that structure with life, right? The, the, the trees begin to populate the earth and birds begin to populate the air and beasts begin to populate the fields. And then at the apex of it all, he forms Adam from the dust of the earth and he says to Adam, I'm paraphrasing here, but he says to Adam, I've shaped, I've filled the earth with life and now I've shaped and formed formed you. I've formed you like me. I've formed you in my image, and I want you now to go and do the same. I want you to fill the earth with others who, because they are like you, also happen to be like me, right? Fill the earth with people who reflect my character, who reflect my nature, who reflect my wisdom, who reflect my kindness, and you, all of you, humanity, you be in charge of the earth on my behalf. Rule over it. Subject the earth to your authority as I have subjected it to my authority. Continue the forming and filling work that I have started and make it even more a place of beauty and wonder than it is now. Now, perhaps if you've never thought of Genesis chapter one that way, I invite you to go back this afternoon and read it again, especially Genesis 1 verse 28, where having formed humanity in his image, God blessed them and said to them what, right? This is the initial commandment to humanity, be fruitful and increase in number, something apparently your pastors have taken seriously, all right? (laughs) Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over it. Specifically, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground, which may not sound much to you, but I'll remind you that that's all there was, right? Everything that is, rule over it. Be in charge of it. That was our assignment. That was why human beings were formed and is still, if I had time to argue for it, is still, I think, our restored assignment through Jesus Christ. That's what we were formed and filled to be doing with all the stuff in our life that isn't rest. But here's the thing for today. Having given the first humans this grandiose assignment, your job is to be me over all the earth, what does God do next? Or maybe a better way to say it is, what does Adam see God do first? Adam's formed on day six. So he gets up on day seven, first morning of his life, going to get started with his life, says to God, so what's on the agenda today? God says, well, today we rest, right? Today we cease. Today we cease from all the work that I've been doing. What was God's seventh day becomes Adam's first day, 
And what went on that seventh day, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. God blessed the seventh day, made it holy because because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Okay, a couple of things here. Uh, First, I want you to notice, it's just interesting to me that God doesn't stop creating even when he stops creating. (laughs) Even when he'd rested from all the work of creating that he had done, in his resting, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. That is to say, something was different about the seventh day, and because of that, something was different about created order overall after the seventh day that wasn't that way before. Time is different now. A day is different than it had been. It serves a different purpose than all the others. Built into the very rhythm of created order itself, and that's why this still matters today, built into the very rhythm of creation itself is a day of a different nature, a day with a different purpose, and that day will never be the same again because on the seventh day, God rested from all the creation. He makes it holy, and as a result, all the other days of the week will never be the same again. Every other day is seen more clearly for what they are because the scriptures are so clear about what this seventh day is all about. A guy named Bruce Waltke said it like this, in the first six days, space is subdued. On the seventh, time is sanctified, right? Sanctified, just a good college word for made holy, right? Set apart for a special, distinct purpose. God, by his inaction, by his ceasing, sanctifies that day, he sets apart that time, he changes the nature of that day, which by default changes the nature of all the others. By by virtue of the way God uses a specific block of time, all the others stand in contrast to it. So if you're a fan of Sesame Street, one of these things is not like the others, all right? Okay, all right? Time takes on a different nature, a different quality, and entering into the rest that Jesus offers, yes, they connect. Jesus and the Father are one. These things are interrelated, all right? Entering into the rest that Jesus promises demands demands that we take the same authority over our days that God the Creator took over His. We reshape time, and we insist that a particular block of time serve a different purpose in our lives than all the other blocks of time in our life. Now, please note that I'm not using the word day there because I don't want you to get hung up in some legalistic fashion on some 24-hour period of utter inactivity, okay? The, I, I, don't think that, I don't think that aligns with everything we see in the scriptures about what the Sabbath consists of. This rest we're talking about I don't think we use the word Sabbath until just then, but Sabbath rest would be the biblical language, right? Sabbath rest is at least as much about an attitude as it is about a day, about some specific period of time. You can observe a day, you could lock out 24 hours and do nothing, but you'd also gain nothing if you don't learn to lean into this rest that we're talking about here, this rest that Jesus promises. But I also have to say with that, that just like any other spiritual discipline, without a day, without a way, it doesn't happen, right? If, if you expect to, that you promise yourself that you're gonna learn to practice the Sabbath on the fly, you're not gonna get there. Your life won't let you get there. 
When I talk about taking authority over our days, over the nature of the time we are given in the same way that God does here in Genesis 2, I suspect I can predict what some of you are already saying in your hearts. I I couldn't do that, Kent. You don't know my schedule. You don't know my obligations. You don't know the demands. I don't have to because I have a word from heaven for you. I can't do that, Kent. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. You are formed in the image of a God who reshaped chaos into order and fruitfulness. A God who said, I'm making this day different and did so, and you can do the same. There is enough time in every day to do the will of God for that day. There is enough time in every day to do the will of God for that day. So there's this shift in the purpose of time. There's this shift imposed on time because God said these moments are going to be different. These moments I'm using for another purpose. We have the same authority he did for determining how we use our time. God declares what time will be and we can do the same. The second thing about what's going on here. We said a minute ago that God's seventh day was Adam's first. God works six days and rests on the seventh Adam rests on his first day and then works six. And here's what I think we learn from that reality. Rest is our foundation for work, not the relief we need because of it. Rest is our foundation for work, not the relief we need because of it. Here's the thing. When scriptures talk about Sabbath rest, right, the foundation of a Sabbath rest life that God initiates for us here in Genesis 2, rest here is not a word that describes recovery, okay? Rest here is not how to fix the exhaustion I feel after running around like a chicken with my head cut off all week long. That's not what's going on. Indeed, God initiates, God launches what we call, what we describe as rest before sin had ever entered the world. And so, before all the activity outside of rest in our lives, before all the work we do ever even resulted in toil. Think about that. You thinking about that? Think about that with me, all right? Toil, as a characteristic of our labor, wasn't present until Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve sinned. So in the garden... Adam and Eve didn't finish their workdays exhausted. They finished their workdays satisfied. And yet still, God established this this pattern of what we're calling rest. Let me help you wrap your head around that. This word Sabbath, Shabbat, really has to do not with resting as we typically think of it, but simply with ceasing, with pausing with stopping with intentionality to reflect on and enjoy what's been accomplished. That's true whether we're exhausted or not, right? It is a celebration of what's been completed. That's what God does in Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. I wish I had more time to develop this, but I just observed that God didn't finish everything he planned to do before he stopped to celebrate what he'd done. 
God didn't finish everything that was on his heart to get done, or as we might say, that he needed to do before he stopped to celebrate what he'd done. When God forms the heavens and the earth and humanity is a part of it, what he does is to commission Adam and Eve to continue the work he started, this work of forming and filling the world with life. He commissions Adam and Eve to continue that work in partnership with him. The garden in which Adam and Eve are placed requires not just care, but cultivation. That is, it needs to be, Adam and Eve are commanded to more fully develop it into everything it can be. The garden needs to be worked in ways that lead to its potential being fully realized. And the work that that development requires needs to be duplicated and expanded into generation after generation of image bearers until ultimately the whole earth is filled with the glory of God until the whole earth is filled with image bearers who display his glory. That was the partnership with God that we human beings were formed for to begin with. But God doesn't wait until all of that is done to stop and rest. No, he pauses. Before humanity's even begun to engage its work, he pauses to rest. He pauses to, to steep a bit in what he's already done, right? As he works through creation every day, he says, that's good, that's good, that's good. He creates man, he says, that's really good. That's awesome what I did right there. But then he takes a whole day, right, to celebrate that, to give this assessment of his own work that it is good and worth celebrating. And in doing so, and in, everybody still with me? All right, if you're still with me, say, I'm still with you. All right, good. Thank you. I wasn't sure there for a minute. I can't, you know, I wasn't sure. And in doing so, what he'd done so far, what God had done so far became the foundation that Adam rested in for what Adam was going to accomplish with God next. What God had already done became the starting point for what Adam would do the next day, tomorrow. And so, so it remains today. What he has already done becomes the foundation, becomes the starting point for anything of value any of us will do tomorrow. We think rest is necessary because we've been depleted by our labor. God says rest is where we start our labor. Because it's in the practice of Sabbath rest that we discover and discover again and again and again the work that God has already done, the necessary work that has to be done before any of us can do anything of real and lasting value. Sabbath rest is where we start our labor because it's there we discover that what we could never do for ourselves, God has already done for us. Learning Sabbath rest births ways of looking at life that says, you know, that, that, that says I'm, I am enough not because of how much I do, not because how busy I keep myself, not because I got everything on my checklist marked off. Look at that, the to-do list is finished, which I have never experienced in my life, right? Not because of that. No, the Sabbath rest births ways of recognizing that I'm enough because of what Jesus has already done for me. 
right? I am enough because of what Jesus did for me, which I could never do for myself. For I am enough because Jesus gives me every breath I breathe and he supplies my deepest needs and he's forgiven every sin and he's cleansed me from every act of unrighteousness and he has poured into me the person of the Holy Spirit and equipped me supernaturally for partnership with him. I am enough because my future is secure in him. And so today, this week, I start my day, I live my life, I engage my schedule and my to-do list and my obligations and my opportunities, not from a foundation of lack or limit or uncertainty or weariness, but from a foundation of utter and absolute fullness in him. That's what Sabbath rest does. Biblical rest becomes the foundation for our work, not the relief we need because of it. Now, this is something to be learned. You won't accomplish this. You won't get there overnight. But what do we read in Jesus' promise of rest? Take my yoke upon you and what? Learn from me. Learn from me and you will find rest for your souls. So I think there's a learning curve involved. Well, let me real quickly give you four things, uh, four things that embracing Sabbath rest, learning to practice Sabbath rest will accomplish. First, Sabbath rest reminds us of our dependence upon God. When you remember that through Christ, we've been restored to intimacy with God, the same intimacy that we had in the Garden of Eden, right? When you recognize that we were formed to live in partnership with him, one of the things Sabbath rest does, one of the things that happens when we consistently reframe blocks of time in our life into pausing and ceasing and remembering and celebrating and sometimes perhaps we do so only because he said we are to do so, right? We've, got, we've still got 15,000 things we need to do. We've still got obligations. We, we know what we all think we ought to be doing and feel obligated to do. But one of the things we're reminded when we learn to step into Sabbath rest is that we belong to him and that we are ultimately utterly dependent upon him, and that we are wonderfully precious to him, that we are his people, the, the sheep of his pasture, the psalmist says, that apart from him, our lives will never amount to anything anyway, so why do we, why do we brashly rush ahead into our days without these moments of rest? But in partnership with him, our lives count forever. Forever. If we don't stop to embrace Sabbath rest, to reflect and remember and celebrate, we forget that we are his. Reminds us of our dependence upon God. Sabbath rest gives opportunity to celebrate our deliverance and our deliverer. Now, interestingly, I don't know that this was a part of, in fact, it wasn't a part of Adam and Eve's experience of Sabbath rest because they didn't need to be delivered from anything yet, Right? I mean, there wasn't any need for grace or forgiveness or sacrifice or propitiation before sin entered our experience. But as God delivers, God initiates Sabbath rest in Genesis 2, but as he delivers the Hebrew people from Egyptian slavery, right under Moses' leadership, the Exodus, all of that, he invites them into covenant relationship with him at Mount Sinai. 
All of that, a predecessor to the invitation of freedom we know in Jesus Christ, right? You know that analogy. He directs the Israelites to observe the Sabbath by what? Remembering that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord brought them out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. So Sabbath is not only about remembering that we are his and that we are utterly dependent upon him, but also how it is, how it is that in spite of our rebellion against him, in spite of the fact that every one of us at some way, at some point in our lives have shaken our fist in the face of God and said, no, I got this. I don't need you. I'm going to do this my way. And then found out what a foolish decision that was. In spite of that act, we have been made his again through what he's done for us. Talk about doing for us what we could never do for ourselves, right? And if you never take a Sabbath, you forget whose you are and you forget how you got to be whose you are. Sabbath gives us the opportunity to celebrate our deliverance and our deliverer. Sabbath rest identifies us as God's people. Think about this sometimes. The world goes 24. Four, seven, three, sixty-five. Couldn't even think how many hours there were in a day there for a second. Right? It's crazy. Never stops. What would it say? What would it say to those who look at us if the people of God knew how to practice Sabbath rest more fully? If we were actually whole and intact people, not pressed into the world's mode, but instead walking in the peace and grace of Christ because we've made sure we've embraced this practice that he's ordained. I'll wait for all the shouting to die down on that one, (laughs) right? God draws Israel out of Egypt. He invites them to Sabbath rest, and he says, this will be a sign. This will be an identifier between me and you for generations to come. This will mark you out as mine. Few of you, I suspect, have some chief's paraphernalia, jersey, jacket, ball cap, right? Why do you wear it? Identity with a winner. That illustration goes to the wayside when I say some of you have royals, <laughs> right? right? But why do we do that? Or, or, or NASCAR, right? Racing, NHRA material, or maybe you've, ladies especially have a brand name purse you use, right? Whatever it is, it's, it's identity. Well, that's what's at stake here with Sabbath rest. There's identity. God says to his people, the Sabbath will be a sign, Before their deliverance, the Hebrews had been slaves as a people for 400 years. Slaves don't count as people. Slaves count as property. Slaves don't get a day off. They work when they're told to, where they're told to, 24-7, 365. But when God brings the Hebrew people out of Egypt, one of the first things he says to them is, you will be my people. You'll be my people. And once a week, You get to testify that you're not property. You're my people, and you get to do that by not working, by taking a day off. Don't you think they jumped on that after 400 years, right? You're going to show the whole world that your value is not in what you produce, but in who you are to me. Some of you need to embrace Sabbath rest just on that principle alone. Sabbath rest, finally, not finally like I'm done. Don't, (laughs) finally like of these four things, all right? Sabbath rest prophetically declares our promised future. 
thought about a phrase I shouldn't say, but it comes from a longer quote where, where a guy named Dempsey, Murray Dempster, I think his name, describes these as kingdom signifying acts of anticipatory transformation. Isn't that a great phrase? Yeah, I'm putting that on my fridge. Yeah. Kingdom signifying, right? They signal that the kingdom is among us, that we are living as kingdom people in this broken age. Kingdom signifying acts of anticipatory transformation. We are transforming the way we live in anticipation of the future that is before us. And when we practice Sabbath rest, that's what we get to do. We get to say to the devil and all his minions and to the broken world and the schedules and patterns around us, we get to say to the, to, to, to the whole world, no, my future is brighter than this nonsense. My future is whole and intact in Jesus Christ and he gives rest to the weary and he has invited me to fullness of life in him and I'm going to take a hold of that for all I'm worth. All right, so I am stopping now. Watch me. That's what we get to do when we, if we would dare to embrace Sabbath rest. What are you going to do with all that information, right? Here's this whole plethora of thoughts and information that rolls around in my head and I got it dumped on you and now you got to figure out. By the way, you do have to figure out what you're going to do with it. Okay, if it's biblical, you got to figure out. We said last week, the Bible is the foundation for all this. If it's biblical, you got to figure out what you're going to do. If you don't think it's biblical, let's meet in the hallway. We'll, we'll duke it out. <laughs> but if it's biblical, then you got to figure out, even if it's inconvenient, even if your heart protests in a million ways, there's no way, I don't know, there's no time, there's no space, there's no opportunity, I can't do it. No, 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 no. Jesus says, come on. All you who are weary and heavy laden, come on to me, I'll give you rest. Learn of me. Take my yoke upon you, right? Take what I'm directing upon you. So you're gonna have to do something with it. Again, I, I just feel like I need to say this. I'm not talking about a legalistic adherence to a 24-hour period of inactivity. Jesus did make it clear that, that Sabbath exists to serve humanity, that we don't exist so we can offer blind adherence to some arbitrary rule. So I am not encouraging you towards some legalistic clock watching. I am saying that there is a biblical practice we rightly label Sabbath, Sabbath rest, biblical reasons for it, biblical principles to it, biblical promises in it. And if you're going to take seriously building your life on a firm foundation and following the framework for transformation, you can't just write it off as unreasonable or inconvenient or, or archaic or unappealing when the blueprint for really living says something that it'd just be simpler to ignore and go on your crazy path. I'm asking you this question. It's yours to answer as you create your own action step in response to today's message. In what new way, perhaps, like you haven't before, in what new way are you going to embrace Sabbath rest? That's a question for you if you've been following Jesus for years and years and years and all of this is familiar territory to you. What are you going to do still? about this principle of Sabbath rest? Is there another step to take? Is there another action to embrace? Is there another change to make? We sang a few minutes ago about Jesus being the gardener who prunes our lives. And we all meant it when we lifted our hands and say, oh, Jesus, prune me, prune me. Well, he might be speaking to your heart right now. Don't say, oh, wait a minute, not that, not that. In what way does Jesus need to reshape your life 
so that you can enjoy the sweet rest he invites us to. I spoke earlier about those who maybe haven't made a decision to turn the authority in their life over to Jesus Christ. But if you're here today, I want you to know that the invitation of Jesus is sweet. And all the craziness that has marked your life, he wants to make it whole and complete. I want to be careful. I don't mean easy. I don't don't mean... Take up your cross and follow me is not necessarily an easy challenge. So I don't mean somebody's going to hand you life on a silver platter and all you got to do is eat chocolate bonbons all day. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, Jesus invites us to learn of him. And wherever you are on on that range of people in your relationship to Jesus Christ, his invitation is as sweet and purposeful and ancient as the day you were formed. He longs to give you rest. What are you going to do? to embrace Sabbath rest. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we don't want to be shaped into the world's mold. Some of us, I'm convinced, are weary of the ridiculous rat race we're running just because that's how we've let life shape us. But you showed us, you put on display how to take authority over our schedules, over our time, We are formed in your image. We have that same privilege. We may not accomplish that overnight, but we have that capability. And so I'm praying that across this auditorium today, people are saying yes to this call to Sabbath rest as part of building a life on a firm foundation. As part of knitting ourselves into that framework of wholeness that you invite us to, through Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that we are complete in you and that any work we do only builds on what you've already accomplished. And that's the beauty of your invitation. You've done for us all that needs to be done to make us whole and complete, and we get to launch from there. So I'm praying that across this auditorium, people are saying again, Jesus, I'm yours. Jesus, I'm going to figure out how to take hold of this. Jesus, in this fashion, in this way, I'm going to clean up this part of my life and learn of you and learn of you. And I'm so grateful, God, that six months from now, a year from now, five years from now, we're going to be more whole than we are today because we've learned to enjoy Sabbath rest. I pray it to the glory of your name and the advance of your purpose in us and in the earth. Amen. Amen.